your word. Lord, would you open our eyes to see what you have to say? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it looks like I'm uh, on overtime today, singing and preaching. And it's a Sunday, so I get double time as well. Fantastic. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm finding that reminiscing is not what it used to be. See, I guess when we get to a certain age, we, we kind of look back at certain periods of our life and we say, do you know what, life was so much better then. For me, it was probably the 80s. Not that it's significant, but it was before I was married and had children. <laughs> Don't tell him that. But, you know, I was, uh, had total freedom. I had no mortgage. Um, my first car, I could listen to Earth, Wind and Fire on the cassette radio. It was just brilliant. But now, now my kids spoil it all for me. Because when those classic songs from the 80s come on smooth radio that I'm listening to, and they go, oh, Dad, do you have to listen to that classical music? <laughs> and... You know, when they look at my school photos, they say, oh, you were so uncool in those days. And that just shatters all my illusions of how great those times were. And as I looked at um, Romans 1, which we're going to be studying today, Paul is very much speaking about the general condition of mankind. And I just wondered, and I'll do a quick straw poll if you want to raise your hand. Generally, from a morality point of view, do you think this world is getting a better place, a worse place, or about the same? So stick your hand up if you think that over time the world is becoming a better place. Well done, Mark. Very brave. And Andy, just tentative vote there. Who thinks it's becoming worse? Oh, interesting. And who thinks it's about the same? Mm, interesting. Well, let's just hold that thought, shall we, as we look at, uh, at Romans. Today we're going to take a bit of a break from our study in Exodus, and we're going to move into the New Testament for a while, looking uh, through the, uh, certainly the first chapters of Romans, and today we're looking at Romans 1. Now, Paul is writing to the church at, uh, at Rome. It's a church that is predominantly uh, made up of Gentiles, but there were a few uh, Jews there. And Paul is concerned, um, not in necessarily a very negative way, but he's concerned that these young Christians have a very clear grounding in the foundation of the gospel. Paul has struggled to go and visit the church at Rome. He, if you see in the opening verses, he's kind of longing to get to meet to them face, face to face. But there's various things that have got in his way. And so he writes them a letter to try and help them understand some of the basic foundations of Christian faith. The basics of the gospel. And as you'll see in chapter 1, 
aside from the first few verses that are kind of introductory marks and uh, introductory marks and some, some pleasantries uh, about how he's heard of what uh, uh, they've been doing and how he applauds them for their faith, Paul launches straight in to a very serious assessment of the state of the world. And we're going to be looking at that. So we're going to pick up our reading from verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And now the hard bit. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Pretty tough words there. You know, the first thing that stands out for me 
and I don't know if you noticed this as we went through there, is that Paul is writing in the present tense. Yeah? What did it say there? It said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress, present tense, the truth by their wickedness. And all those things that Paul goes on to describe are all in the present tense. So those things that I'm sure, actually, when we think about it, we can associate with what goes on in the world today was going on at Paul's time. And actually, if we look back through the Old Testament, has been going on right from the start. So if I ask that question again, is the world getting a better place or a worse place, or is it the same? Unfortunately, when you look at this, the answer has to be, there's nothing new under the sun. It's pretty much the same. Even though we may hear more about it, see more stuff on the news, it become more evident, more public, actually, fundamentally, there is a problem with man. And we're going to unpack a little bit about um, what that problem is. If we could have the slides, please, Tom. So we pick up in, uh, in verse 18. And if we could have the next one, please. The wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. Wrath, I guess, is not a word that is generally used in the English language. If you look it up in the dictionary, it uses words like extreme anger, rage. And when we apply that to God, that's not the kind of words we want to use about God, is it? Somebody who's extremely angry or in a rage with us. You know, when, when we look at anger from a human perspective, we think of things like road rage or anger that's out of control. You know, when we get angry, we lose a grip of, uh, of who we are, don't we? We say things that we kind of never meant to say. We do things that we regret afterwards. Is God like that? Is that what the wrath of God means? So often we kind of preach about the mercy and the love of God and how much he wants us to, uh, to just be in a relationship with him. And yet here we are, Paul, trying to instruct these new Christians, and he launches straight in about the wrath of God. Wow. And I guess, you know, we look ahead in the Bible and we see clearly those words used in, in the kind of um, uh, prophetic words of Revelation when we see the great tribulation and we see the wrath of God. Tom, click on. And we see that in eternity future, there will be an eternal wrath poured out in the judgment of hell. So we kind of accept that, that, yeah, one day the wrath of God will be meted out. And we see that actually in the run-up to that, there will be a great tribulation. And the words wrath and, and real trouble and, and uh, strife are used in those end times. And we kind of accept that because that's what's to come. Yes, Tom. But then we start to see in the Bible that actually there's such things as cataclysmic wrath. 
there's specific events that God pours out his judgment for a specific time. Think of the flood, Noah. A great catastrophe on the earth that God gave eventually to save the earth, but because you know, he needed to wipe out the evil things. And if God can do it then, I think it's a brave person who would say that some of the things that we see in the world today are not also God's cataclysmic wrath. Why would God behave in a certain way at one period of time and not in another? Now, please don't get me wrong. I am not for a minute saying that everything that goes wrong in this earth right, is a direct, direct result of God pouring out his wrath. I am not, absolutely not saying that. But what I am saying is that sometimes God brings his judgment and intervenes in certain ways. Yes, Tom. Then we have consequential wrath. We reap what we sow. We behave in a certain way and we reap the benefits of that. We see this from this very passage. Those people who gave up natural sexual relationships bear the penalty. Those who live by the sword die by the sword, in uh, another way of putting it. There is consequential wrath in the way that we live our lives. And then we have in this passage, the wrath of abandonment. This is probably the hardest thing to get to grips with because it's when God says, all right, you're on your own. Do you believe that God says that to us? You're on your own? Three times in this passage, three times God says, and God gave them over. Right? Because they would not listen, God gave them over. Let me just kind of illustrate a little bit by what I mean. The other night, my son Josh came to me and he said, uh, um, Dad, I've finished my physics homework. Um, it's all done. Uh, can I uh, go off and play with my friends? And I said, well, you know, I'd, I'd really quite like to... Uh, um, see what you've done. I'm very interested in, in what you've done. Can, can we have a go, uh, go through it? So begrudgingly he said, all right. And here was a physics uh, um, bit of work on hydraulics. And he'd answered uh, most of the questions, right? And I said, Josh, you've, you've made a mistake here. He said, no, I haven't. I said, excuse me, if you kind of work it through, you've got that one the wrong way around. No, I haven't. That's what my teacher said, and that's what I'm going to do. I said, well, Josh, it's wrong. No, 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 it's not. I said, well, you know, forgive me, but I, I do have a master's degree in engineering. <laughs> and I think I probably know a little bit more than um, kind of second year high school physics. And he thought about this for a bit. And he said, well, but that's what the teacher told me, so I'm going to keep it. I said, okay, Josh, if that's the way you want to, Leave it. And then we will see what your teacher does when he marks it. You see, there was kind of no getting through to him. He wasn't wanting to listen. And I had to just kind of leave it. 
As it happens, five minutes later, he said, Dad, I've thought about it a bit, and I think you might be right. <laughs> and so we sat down and worked it through. But you see, there was that point in that conversation where I had to say to Josh, okay, have it your way. And this is exactly what God is saying in this passage. You're not listening to me. I'm going to give you over and let, it, let you have your way. Now, again, please don't misunderstand me. This is not God being vindictive in saying, I'm going to just uh, kind of leave you to it and abandon you forever. Just as I said what I said to Josh to help him learn, so God sometimes leaves us to our own devices to teach us a lesson, to draw us back to him. Just think about the parable of the prodigal son. Right? Look what happened there. The father let the son go off and do whatever he wanted. He gave him over to the desires of that son. And of course what happened? The son wasted everything. And it was only then when he was sitting down with nothing left, eating the food of the pigs that he was looking after that he realized my father was right so the reason that God gives people over is to teach them a lesson to come back to him it is not a once and for all abandonment now I don't want to be too negative and actually I take a lot of positives out of the fact that God says, I'm giving you over. Because what does that imply? It implies, first of all, that actually God was in control. And I think that if we really understand the nature of God, we can understand that he is restraining so much evil from this world. Despite the state that we see the world in, God's restraining and guiding hand is upon it. We know from his word that he puts people in authority. And if he chooses to bring them down, he can bring them down. We know that he can restrain and constrain certain things. So it's a real comfort that just as God sometimes gives us over to our own free will... He's also restraining. And there's some fabulous verses there that I've uh, um, put up there just to remind us from Colossians. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's holding the whole of creation. Promise of Jesus to his disciples, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And in Second Thessalonians, for although the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And that's at the end times. God is a restraining force for this world. So what happens when God gives us over? said before that it was three times verse 24, 26 and 28 in effect we have God saying okay have it your way 
I won't hold back the consequences of your disobedience anymore. We see this in the Old Testament. Look what happened to Samson. Look at Judges 16.20. Samson tried to do the same kind of powerful act that he'd done before when under the power of the Spirit, but he found himself unable to because he did not know that the Lord had left him. Can we just go back a slide first, please? Then Proverbs 1.27, When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. God sometimes does leave us to our own devices. He removes that restraint. So next slide now. So what was it that caused God to say, all right, have it your way? If we look back, it's because they suppressed the truth. That's the root of the whole thing conjured up in this uh, one verse, verse 18. The wrath of God is being meted out because men suppressed the truth. They ignored the truth. And we can see a few verses there, a couple from this passage we read. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. The men who suppressed the truth by their wickedness. And uh, one from Titus. To those who are corrupted, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Failure to acknowledge the truth has serious, serious consequences. And it's the denial of the truth that God cannot stand. I don't know if you're conscious of the first lie that you ever told. Consciously. Do you remember that? I do, vividly. And I'm not proud of it, but I'll tell you the story anyway. It was probably when I was about five years old... And I had made myself a catapult. Made myself a catapult out of a a Y-shaped branch of wood and an old bicycle inner tube. And it was fantastic. And the first shot I made with it, I broke one of the windows in the house. How unlucky. (laughs) And my father came out to me And he said, who's broken that window? I said, it wasn't me. (laughs) Natural reaction. I don't know what made me do it. You just kind of cover it up, don't you? And, you know, it's like when you have um, an accident in the car. What do your insurance company tell you to do? (laughs) Never admit blame. It wasn't my fault. And I had a long chat with my dad. And it turned out, you know, the thing that, he was most angry at was not the fact that I'd broken the window with my catapult. It was that I'd told him a lie. And that was such an important lesson for me. And I'm glad I had that lesson early on. Because it taught me the importance of truth and integrity. We sometimes go walking and uh, we um, go with a number of uh, young uh, people young families, and Ian and Jackie Dick um, come with us sometimes, and they tell the story 
of uh, when they take their girls out walking. And as the inevitable question comes up, how far is it um, left? The answer is always something like, oh, just 10 or 15 minutes. Right? Half an hour down the, down the path, it's how long left to go? Oh, it's 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm not sure who is it. Is it Pam or Celia that uh, says it? Is it Pam that says, the thing I can't stand is the lies and the deceit. <laughs> is that Pam? Is it? It's Pam, yeah. It's the lies and the deceit that I can't stand. And how like God that is. The thing that he cannot stand is the lies and the deceit. It's the denial of who he is. The unwillingness to accept God. God is truth. You know, he cannot face lies. It's Satan who is the father of lies. God is truth and righteousness and justice. Next slide, please. And so, in denying the truth, the wise become fools. And we have this, one of my favorite verses, Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen. And Paul goes on to write that actually men are without excuse. Because God's power, his infinite wisdom, his creative power is there for all to see. In fact, you don't even need to have the Bible. Because creation just shouts out about who God is. Right? If you just pay attention. You know, look at these beautiful flowers here. Don't they speak of a wonderful designer who's lovingly put such beauty together. Just look at each other. You know, these kind of things don't happen by accident. Behind it all is a creator God who loves us, who wants to have a relationship with us. Anybody who's got any brain and, can, uh, and is not um, prepared to deny the truth can see that a designer, a design needs a designer, almighty God. And yet, we reject him. And the very people who set themselves up as wise and knowledgeable become fools as a result. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but the language that Paul uses is quite interesting when he talks about the behavior of those that deny the truth what is it that they follow after they follow after images of reptiles birds animals I wonder if you've ever twigged that actually when you look at those who argue that we've come from nothing They take us on a journey of changing from reptiles to birds to animals to man. I think Paul here is very wisely saying, and by the way, evolution is not a new theory. It was right back in the time of the Egyptians. That when you dismiss the truth of God, you throw yourself open to all foolishness 
about how we came to be. And if you do that, and if you say that actually we're descended from these animals, then actually the behavior, the morality that we ought to have as humans doesn't count, does it? Because at the end of the day, we're just animals. And what does Paul then go on to say? Once you've dismissed the truth, once you've dismissed God, once you've said, well, actually, we're not really part of a design and we're just there, animals, what happens to the morality of the behavior of those people? Quickly descends into, effectively, total anarchy, doesn't it? They throw themselves open to unnatural relations. They move away from the perfect um, image of partnership, relationships, and sexual behavior that God has set for us. A good and perfect plan. And it all gets distorted simply because we're not acknowledging the designer and the creator as having put together something really special. Because people have denied the divine creative power of God, God gave them over to sinful desire. It's a direct consequence. Because we denied the truth, God's given us over to that. And remember, Paul's writing this in the present tense. This is nothing new. It's not new, this whole challenge that we face of people embarking on uh, unnatural uh, relationships. It's a consequence of, right from the word go, denying. It's where false religions start to take over as well. Yep. The consequences of sexual impurity and the worshipping of false gods. Now, if I haven't upset you already about thoughts of uh, um, kind of evolution and the challenge, maybe I'll upset you now. Who or what do we bow down to when we talk about being given over to the worship of false gods? Now, in my kind of simplistic view, your God is effectively what you focus most of your time on. Would you say that's reasonable? Yeah? If something's the real focus of your intention and, and uh, behaviors, then that's effectively your God. That's what you worship. Whether that be your football team, whether it be your job, maybe your family. But if that's what you spend your time on, that's what you worship. Not very clear there, but that picture is meant to represent the Ten Commandments. God's laid down his law, not just the Ten Commandments, but he's laid down his law, and it's his, it's his intent that we immerse ourselves in that so that we might understand God and that we might truly worship him. He gave those tablets of stone so we could catch a glimpse of who God is. I wonder how much we spend time looking at a different tablet now. I walk around the town and I sit on trains and I see people just head down, immersed, almost bowing down 
to these devices. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not saying there is inherently anything evil in this technology. Right? What I am saying is if you become so absorbed in it, then it becomes a problem. Not mentioning any names, but we take our kind of young people away um, on residentials. They all have their mobile phones, their iPods. They panic when they can't get a signal. They're distraught when they run out of power. Something is seriously wrong when we bow down and worship what's in these things. Next time. God said that you shall have no, shall make no idols for yourself. And right back, you know, in Nebuchadnezzar's time, he made a gold statue for people to bow down to, breaking the commandments, moving away from the intent that God had. And what do we do now? We give golden statues to our idols, don't we? We worship those who are celebrity. We worship those who are in positions of influence, apparently, in the media. Who or what do we bow down to? See, the minute we deny the truth of Almighty God, God gives us over to these things. We need to come back to understanding the truth of God. We need to worship the creator and not created things. And then the kind of last bit of the warning that Paul gives is the danger not only of denying the truth, but then ignoring wisdom, ignoring knowledge, turning your back on it. And it makes me shudder when I see in so many schools it being not allowed anymore to overtly share the Bible. That assemblies are kind of watered down now, not to be messages uh, about God, they're messages about anything. Generalizing, of course, there are instances where we are still allowed in. But generally, if we look at young people growing up today, even younger adults, maybe even older ones, the knowledge of the Bible and the basics of who God is is dreadful. Would you agree? We have ignored the wisdom that is in God's word so much that is it little wonder that God gives us over to the consequences. So many times we put our fingers in our ears, we cover our eyes, we cover our mouths. We don't want to speak out for truth. We don't want to speak out for justice. We turn a, bl turn a blind eye to those that are suffering. We don't want to hear when there's uh, injustice. God tells us that we need to have that knowledge, that wisdom. We need to understand what he's calling us as Christians to do. But, 
there is hope. We've sung about it. We've read about it. The gospel is our hope. It's the power of God for salvation. That's exactly what Paul wanted to preach to these Romans. He'd love to do it face to face, but he had to write to them. He started off by saying, the gospel is is the hope. It's the power of God for salvation. Even though sometimes God gives us over and says, have it your own way, he's still there, like the father and the prodigal son, reaching down to say, I want you back. I'm giving you over so that you might learn and come back to me. I'm giving you over so that you might see the errors of your way and know that there uh, is truth, that there is hope. And those fantastic verses there. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus sealed that on the cross, didn't he? That even though the world was given over to uh, their own designs. Yet, God gives a way back. Isaiah, for a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. And uh, from John, when Jesus was praying for his disciples, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Here's Jesus himself praying for his disciples that we'll be protected, that we won't be abandoned, that God will reach down and pull us up. So although it's a hard passage, this one, although it's a difficult thing to come to terms with the wrath of a God who we like to think of as a God of mercy, Wrath and mercy go hand in hand. God is a holy God. He cannot look on sin. Sometimes he has to give us over. But he's a merciful God who wants to um, uh, have a relationship with us. But the start of that relationship is to acknowledge the truth. The truth of who God is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father God, these are are tough words and uh, I just pray that we would not misconstrue them. You clearly give in your word this warning. You clearly give a statement of the condition of mankind. And you clearly show that there's nothing new under the sun. Father, would you make us a people of truth? people who immerses themselves in your word and understands and has wisdom. A people who speaks out and looks out and listens out for your truths. Lord, don't give us over to our own ways, our own devices. Lord, keep us walking in your way. Keep us walking in the truth. 
In Jesus' name, amen.